All right, if you would, take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 6. You can take your, your Bible or you can take uh, your, your phone if you have the, the Bible, a copy of the Bible on your phone, and you want to open that up as we look at, at God's Word together today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 6. Acts is the book that we've been studying chapter by chapter through for the last several weeks, and we're going to continue to do that, and so hopefully... You, you become familiar with where that's located uh, in, in your Bible. One of the things that we found out during the choir special is that our choir sings a lot better than we clap. So uh, that became drastically evident, but that was awesome. That was really, uh, that was fun. And somebody needed to say who dat, but I didn't hear it, so that's, that's all right. Who dat is kind of our version of amen, I think, is the way that that, that works. All right, one of the things that we've taken a break from for the past few weeks, but we need to get back to, is practicing our memory verse. And so you've got your bulletin, your worship guide, as you came in. And on the back of that is the, uh, is the verse up at the top. You'll see there are some sermon notes as we go, we go through here. But then at the very top is Acts chapter 1, 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 which is what we're memorizing together. So here's what we're going to do. I want to talk us through this verse because we haven't looked at it in a while. So I want to talk us through it. And then after we do that, we're going to say it out loud a couple of times together just so we have, have the experience of doing that. All right, here's Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the way, if you're like me, sometimes on Bible memory, you just need something to get you started. And so it's, you just need to think, you will receive power. And then you should think to yourself, yeah, right. Really, me. I'm going to have spiritual power in my life. You, you don't know about my life. You don't know how unspiritual I am. How can you say that about me? Well, you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit comes on you. Well, why would the Holy Spirit come on me? So that you will be my witnesses. Well, where do I where am I supposed to go to be witnesses? In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so if you can get yourself started with you will receive power, sometimes you can kind of talk yourself through it as you're practicing and going through this. So Let's practice saying it out loud two times, and I know it's awkward speaking out loud in church during the sermon, but I want us to hear it. Let's, let's practice it. Even if this is your first time and you, you, know, you never said a Bible verse before, join in and let's just say this out loud together. Here we go. One, two, three. You receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. And to the ends of the earth. Good job. All right, let's say it one, one more time. I saw some people closing your eyes, which is a really good thing, because that means you're forcing yourself to say it, uh, say it from memory. All right, let's, one, two, three. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All right, let's practice that this week. Continue just to repeat it to yourself. Put it somewhere where you're going to see it and and begin to commit that to memory and then not just commit it to memory, but but live it out. All right, let's read Acts chapter 6. 
starting in verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Verse 5, this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch. I don't claim any of those words were pronounced correctly, but Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And then we'll pick up in verse 8 next week as we look at the story of Stephen, which picks up there at the end of verse 6. All right, I've told you a little bit about our family's transition to driving a minivan, mainly my wife's transition to driving a minivan, that she actually moved into minivan world, which we said that we would, we would never make it to. Our first vehicle, though, that, that we had was a little Ford Focus. And when I say a little Ford Focus, I mean a little Ford Focus. Like this was a little bitty car, you know, like the kind that you have to push over the speed bump to, to be able to go down, down the road. But it was, our, it was our first little car together, and we had, you know, we were in like one kid and barely two kid you could get, get around with this little Ford Focus. Ford Focus had a commercial a few years ago that they used to advertise their vehicle, and it was this idea that and is better than or. So they would have these commercials, and it would be like, do you want sweet or sour chicken? Well, I don't want sweet or sour chicken. I want sweet and sour chicken. Or when you build something, it's, is it nuts or bolts? Well, it's not nuts or bolts. It's nuts and bolts. Do you want to do black and white photography or black or white photography? Well, and is obviously better than or. When we come to this idea of church... We need to remember that always, almost always, and is better than or. We make these or statements that end up leading us astray. Should we focus on evangelism or discipleship? Well, it's not or, it's and. Evangelism and discipleship. Should we do good for others or should we preach the gospel? It's not or, it's and. We do good for others and we preach the gospel. Should we minister to widows or orphans? How about widows and orphans? Should we focus on local needs, or should we go around the world telling people about Jesus? How about both? How about and? Should we strengthen the church, or should we focus on advancing the gospel? Well, actually, we need to do both. We need to strengthen the church, and we need to advance the gospel. And that's what we see happening in Acts. The church is growing internally, it's becoming strong, but at the same time that it's growing strong internally, the church is also growing externally. That's what it says here in verse 1 of chapter 6. It says this idea, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing. 
There's something going on here in the church where more and more people are becoming involved in what's going on. The number of disciples is increasing. Not the number of church attenders increasing. The number of disciples are increasing. There is a movement happening where people's lives are being transformed. And what we have to remember is that we are part of that movement. We don't gather here out of religious ritual. We don't gather here to get spiritual points. We gather here because our lives have been transformed by Jesus Christ. And we are part of this process. The number of disciples are increasing. And we have a situation in our church, and we have to be so careful when we talk about this in in church. But we have a situation here in our church where the number of people attending the church during the summer is supposed to go down drastically. Except that hasn't happened in the last few weeks. And there is a situation where the number of disciples, the number of people are increasing. And we have to be so cautious because it can become, wow, look at us, we have more people coming. But what we just need to be aware of is this reality in Scripture. When God's Spirit moves, the number of disciples will begin to increase. The number of people there will begin to increase. But more people means more problems. Uh, When things increase, when you have this happening, you're going to ultimately run into opposition. You're going to run into problems. And that's exactly what we find happening here in this verse. It says, in those days when the number of disciples were increasing... The Hellenistic Jews among them complained. Now imagine that. There was complaining, you know, in a church situation. Complaining or grumbling. The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Not only was the number of disciples increasing, but what's happening here is that there was diversity in the group. It says there, the Hellenistic Jews. I know the word Hellenistic may not mean a whole lot to you, but what that means is Greek-speaking. So these Jews, these widows, they they spoke Greek. That was their predominant language. And then it goes down, it says, the Hebraic Jews. These Jews, these widows, they spoke Hebrew, or actually probably not Hebrew, they probably spoke Aramaic. And so you had two groups in the church. You had diversity in the church, One group spoke English. Wait, that was my illustration. I skipped my illustration. One group spoke Greek, and the other spoke Aramaic. It would be just like today if we were in a situation and some of the people spoke mainly Spanish, and some of the people spoke mainly English. And so you had the Spanish-speaking group, and you had the English-speaking group. Has anyone ever been a part of a church where there were multiple languages spoken in the church? Like you had multiple worship services, different worship services for different languages. Yeah, if you've been a part of that church, it's that type of situation where you have one language over here that's predominant, and then you have another language over here, and this diversity was happening. Diversity, and we want to we want, make sure we understand this from the beginning. Diversity in the church is a good thing. Okay, what is happening right here is not the problem. The fact that there is diversity is God's gift to us, that there would be multiple languages. What an incredible gift to First Baptist Church if we had a situation where there were multiple languages spoken. The idea that there are people from multiple ethnic backgrounds, that God would give us that joy in our church, that diversity. And we already have some diversity in our church. We have generational diversity. There are young people and old people. And guess what? Generational diversity 
can cause tension because the young people feel like the old people are holding them back and the old people feel like the young people are just naive and you end up in this situation where diversity, which is good, generational diversity is good, but it can cause tension. We also have diversity where some people are newcomers. You haven't been around First Baptist for a long time. And some people have been here for a very long time. Now, I realize in a small town like, like Bay St. Louis and this, this type of area, newcomer means like you came within the last 25 years, you know. <laughs> so if you've been here less than 25 years, you're a newcomer. Or if you've been here longer than that, uh, or if you have a particular last name, then that makes you a part of the inside group, and otherwise you're on the outside. Our last name is Nice. There are about... 500 people in the vicinity of this area who have the last name Nikase. And so every time I introduce myself and I say, my name is Owen Nice, they say, oh, you meant Nikase. No, I know my last name. <laughs> my last name is Nice. If it was Nikase, I would have said Nikase, but it's just Nice. And so if you have Nikase, you're obviously an insider. If you have Nice, you must not know your last name. You must be an outsider. <laughs> and, and so there's this diversity that exists in our area. Some people have been here a long time. Some people are new. When this happens, when diversity happens, we say thank you, God, for that gift. Thank you that we're not all like one another. Thank you that we all haven't been here 50 years. Thank you that we all didn't show up yesterday. We need that diversity. But at the same time, we need to realize that when diversity exists, there's going to be tension. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be some sort of opposition. Right here it says, why was there opposition here? It says the Hellenistic Jews complained against the Hebraic Jews because. That's your key word. It's going to tell us why there's opposition. Because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. All right, here's what's probably going on here. Is that the Hellenistic Jews, the ones, the ladies who spoke Greek... They were not native to Jerusalem. They had come in from another area. Their extended family lived in another area. And so they didn't have as much extended family, most likely, to care for them. They were the outsiders. They were the minority population. And as a result, they were being overlooked when it came to this care, when it came to this food and this money and these material resources that they needed. It would be like if we had a Spanish-speaking widow and our church, whose extended family lived in Mexico. And so she is here. She doesn't speak our language predominantly. Her extended family doesn't live around her. And everyone else is being taken care of, but she's being overlooked. You can see how easily this could happen in a situation. Someone who doesn't speak the language, somebody who doesn't fit in, and they're being overlooked. And after you're overlooked for a certain amount of time, you start to complain And you start to grumble and say, isn't anybody paying attention to me? Doesn't anybody care about me? Are they just looking past me? And so this situation is going on here, and they realize that it's not good. But it's not just that these ladies aren't getting their food and money. It's that in the process of the apostles trying to care for all of these ladies, the apostles aren't doing their job of proclaiming the word and leading the people in prayer. So not only are the widows being overlooked, but the word is not being placed at the center like it should be. And people aren't being led in prayer like they should be because they're having to give their attention 
to caring for these ladies. So what happens? What's the answer? Look down at verse 2. So the twelve, these are the twelve apostles, gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Verse 3. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. All right. Part of the background here is this passage becomes the background for the deacon ministry in the church. But, this is a key point, the word deacon, the term deacon is not used in this passage. Instead, what you have is you have a word for serving or a word for ministering that is used both for the seven men who are selected and used for the apostles. All right, since that was super confusing, let me explain what I meant by that. In verse 1, at the very end of verse 1, it says, Their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, I know it gets lost in the English, but what we have going on there at the end of that verse is a word for serving. The word that would become in reference to deacons. So it happens there at the beginning in reference to food. But then skip over to verse 4. In verse 4, it says, we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. In verse 4, that word ministry, if you wanted to kind of circle it, it's that same word for being a deacon, for being a servant that was used back in verse 1. And so the point is, whether you're talking about serving food or whether you're talking about serving the word, you're still a servant. And so the same word for being a deacon, for being a servant, is used for both the apostles and for the seven men who were chosen to care for these widows. What we have to see here is that when this opposition was coming, when there was this diversity, when these widows were being overlooked, the apostles didn't say, we're going to have to choose between caring for these widows or we're going to have to choose ministering the word. They said both of these things have to happen. And so the church comes together and says, we're going to select seven men full of the spirit and wisdom who are going to be able to care for these ladies. Now, this list of seven men that I'm not going to attempt to read again because I did such a poor job uh, the first time. But one thing I want you to know about that list is every name that is in that list is a Greek name, is a Hellenistic name. Now, why do you think that would be the case? Because that's exactly the group of ladies who were being overlooked. And so they said, these Hellenistic, Greek-speaking ladies are being overlooked, so we are going to find Greek men who are going to be able to come in with their long, black, curly hair. Just kidding. That's my Greek joke for the day. But uh, who are going to be able to come in and are going to be able to care for these ladies who are being overlooked. They didn't choose English-speaking men to minister to the Spanish-speaking ladies. They choose chose men who would be able to communicate with these ladies, who would be able to meet them where they are. They cared for these ladies in their moment of need. And in the process, it freed up the apostles to be able to do what they were supposed to be doing. So the apostles say at the end of verse 3, we will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. 
All right. A couple of things about the end of verse 4. Number one, this verse cannot be used by pastors to say, we don't have to care for people, we just study the Bible and pray. Pastors can still pick up the trash. Pastors can still be involved in the day-to-day care of people. In fact, we, we should be doing that. Sometimes this verse is misused and abused by pastors who don't want to care for people, and so they say other people have the responsibility, we're just going to study the Bible and pray. That would be a misuse of this passage, and and by God's grace and mercy, let, let me never go down that route of misusing it in that way. And so we have to be cautious about that. We can still be involved in ministering to people. But what it does say is that the responsibility of the leader here is to give the people the word, to lead them in prayer, and if they neglect that because of the need to do these types of care, to care for these widows, then the gospel is going to be hindered. The church is going to be weakened because the pastors are doing things that they're not supposed to be doing. They're giving their attention, their time is being eaten up by things that aren't benefiting the congregation, aren't benefiting the group as a whole. Let me tell you a couple of things that I've learned from this passage this week and that that I think are important for our church. Number one, and and I've never picked up on this before, but it's it's kind of made sense to me this week. When it says in verse 4, we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word, when I think about prayer and I think about Bible study, the first thing that comes to my mind is private prayer and private Bible study. So that's why pastors, many of whom are introverts like myself, when we read something like we're going to give our responsibility or we're going to give our focus to prayer and the study of the word, we say yes, because that means more time by myself. I can go days with no one talking to me and be so happy. My wife goes five minutes with nobody talking to her and life starts to fall apart. Like she needs all of these words and all of this people interaction and, and well, now that it, let me let me clarify that she needs adult conversation. She gets like two year old conversation all the day. Mommy, 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 mommy. You guys know how that works if if you've been in that world. But she needs that people interaction. Me send me off by myself, and I am so happy. Me myself and I. But but this does not refer just to private prayer and private Bible study. What it refers to is leading the church in public prayer and leading the church in public study of God's word. And so when it says to give our attention to those things, that's what the pastor should be doing. We should be leading the church to pray. We should be leading the church to study God's word. That's why on Sunday morning, we put our focus on studying God's word. That's why we try to make times of corporate prayer. One of the things we're going to do in the fall and I I just pray that God's Spirit will move in this regard, but one of the things we're going to do in the fall is we're going to start focusing our Sunday night, 6 o'clock time, around corporate prayer. We will come together to pray for God's work. Oftentimes, Baptist churches have done a Wednesday night prayer meeting, and, and those can work, those can be okay, but a lot of times they don't include a lot of prayer or a lot of spiritual formation. We just call it prayer meeting. And so we are going to devote ourselves on Sunday night, largely because of what God has done in my life through this particular verse and saying, I need to lead our church to pray. I need to lead our church and study 
of God's word. Here's the other thing that I've learned from this verse. And this is one of the hardest things for, for men especially to deal with, is we have such a need to fix things. If it's broken, I want to fix it. Tell me how I can fix it. One of our church members uh, graciously loaned me their wood chipper and, uh, and mulcher. And so we bought a house here in the bay that has a lot of shrubs and a lot of trees and a lot of vegetation problems. And, and so I've been cutting all this vegetation and I didn't know what to do with it. And several people have helped me haul it off to different places, but I had so much that I needed to, to mulch some of it. And so I borrowed this wood chipper and mulcher and I was using it and things were going great and then it stopped working. I've already told this church member that it's now working again. Okay, so they'll know, they're not hearing from the stage that I've broken their machine, but uh, it's working again. So it stops working. Now, I'm not very mechanically inclined, but I'm starting to panic because I've broken a church member's, you know, piece of, piece of equipment. So I'm down there, and I'm trying to clean it out. I'm, I'm looking at all these different parts, and then it hits me. That, that maybe it's the carburetor that, that's, that's messed up. And then I panic because I realized I couldn't find the carburetor if I wanted to. I have no clue what the carburetor is, but I'm sure that it's the carburetor that's messed up. And, and now I'm really feeling badly. You, you can tell, I'll come and work on your yard, but don't ask me to fix your equipment because uh, it's, a bad, it's a bad thing. So I've convinced myself it's the carburetor, but I have no idea where that carburetor is located on this machine, and so I couldn't fix it. And so I'm just in a panic. I go and buy more gas, even though it has plenty of gas, but I feel better because I poured more gas into the, into the gas tank. And every time I'd started, it would just about start, but it wouldn't take. It, it wouldn't hold. And then I realized that I was pushing the choke switch the wrong way. So I would choke it, start it, and then, and then I was doing it the wrong way. And so I'd just about get it started, and then I would turn the choke all the way on, and it would die. And I didn't realize... What, what was happening. But in that experience, which revealed to me why I don't work on, on machines, but in that experience, I was reminded of how much of a need we have to fix things. If it's broken, we've got to figure out how to fix it. If someone's life is broken, we want so bad to fix it. And I think one of the things we see in this verse, when the apostles say, we are going to give our attention to the ministry of prayer and the ministry of the word is we're tempted. And, and hear me say, I'm tempted to say, that's not going to fix anything. If I give that person some food, then it feels like I've done something. Then it feels like I've fixed the situation. And yet we're reminded that what we need more than anything is God's word to take root in our lives. And what we need more than anything is through the power of prayer for God's spirit to move in someone's life. I cannot force anyone to love Jesus. James, no matter how hard he tries, cannot fix a teenager whose life has gone sideways. But what we can do is point people to God's word and say, here is hope. Here is a message about Jesus Christ who has taken on your sin who has died in your place, who has risen from the dead so that you will have hope. And I will pray for you and we will gather to pray for you and we will say that God will do in your life what we could never do for you. 
And so when it says the apostles gave their attention to the ministry of prayer and the ministry of the word, it says that they were trusting God to do something in these people's lives that they could not do on their own strength or on their own power or by simply waiting tables. And what we have to ask ourselves as a church is, do we trust God's word? Do we trust God's spirit to move through the power of prayer? Or do we feel like we have to manipulate things and make things happen of our own strength, of our own power? Are we going to be terrified about growing in numbers and not caring for those people who are neglected? Are we going to be terrified about growing in numbers and not giving attention to God's word and to prayer? Are we going to be terrified about growing in numbers and not getting everyone involved because we all have diverse gifts, we all have diverse talents? We need to bring those together in teamwork and say, God, you can work through all of us to minister to people. And so what happens? Let's look at the very last verse and wrap this up in verse 7. What happens as a result of this situation? It says the word of God spread, or the word of God grew. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Back in verse 1, it began in those days when the number of disciples was increasing. They ran into a problem. They solved it by God's grace. And verse 7 the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. As a result of what God did in this church, the church was strengthened and the gospel advanced, continued to grow. I hope that's your prayer for God's work in First Baptist. Not that more people would attend church, not that we would become more popular, but that the word of God would grow and that the number of disciples would increase. People's Lives are being transformed and changed by the Lord. As we come to the end of our service, we're going to have a response time, and we're going to sing again about God's greatness. During that response time, I stand down here at the front, and if the Lord is working in your life, if you want to be a part of a church where the disciples are increasing, where we're committed to working together, and and you have questions about this, I would love to pray for you. If you just have things going on in your life and and you need someone to pray for you, we're here. But we're going to sing asking that God would make his greatness known to us and that we will be committed to caring for people in need and that we will be committed to God's word and to prayer. Father, we thank you for this passage.